millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. From AccuWeather.com, this is Everything Under the Sun. It's our weekly podcast featuring in-depth interviews with experts from AccuWeather and from around the world. Bringing you behind-the-scenes information, stories, and news on the weather, climate change, and the outdoors. Covering topics from the worlds of science, sports, and space. It's all the information you need to weatherproof your life. And now, here's the host of Everything Under the Sun, AccuWeather meteorologist, Dean DeVore. Welcome into Episode 8 of our fall series of Everything Under the Sun. This week, we'll get our final recap of COP26, the UN Climate Change Conference we've been following for about the last month, which just wrapped up. We'll get the help from our friends at the Royal Meteorological Society on that again. And we'll also take a look at the potential for some bad weather for the Thanksgiving holiday week coming up with the possibility of a big coastal storm along the eastern seaboard. And if that occurs, or even if it doesn't necessarily occur in that form, there's certainly going to be some potential pitfalls for travelers, whether going around the corner or around the world here in the Thanksgiving week. As we enter the third weekend of November, we invite you to sit back and relax. Friends, it's time to talk. Talk about everything under the sun. So as I said, over the past month, we've been covering COP26, the 2021 United Nations Climate Change Conference, which was held at the SEC Center in Glasgow, Scotland. Started back on October 31st and ran through last weekend. We've asked our friend, Professor Liz Bentley, Chief Executive of the Royal Meteorological Society, to come back with us to help recap the event. And I also asked our Vice President for Weather Content and Forecast Operations and our Chief Meteorologist, Jonathan Porter, to join me so we can talk about what was accomplished what still needs to be done, and certainly the impacts after thousands of people descended on Glasgow to discuss this important topic of climate change. Liz, let's start with you. I know you had a front row seat. We've checked in with you a couple of times over the last month. And, uh, you know, maybe just give us your overall thoughts about what you witnessed over the last few weeks in Glasgow and at COP26. And then we can talk about some of the frustrations that I've been reading about from some of the things that did and didn't happen. And we can get into that. But just kind of give us an overview from your perspective on all of that. Yeah. So uh, certainly an interesting two weeks. And, and, um, a lot going on. So 30,000 people turn up to this international climate event, but there's probably just a couple of thousand that are really involved in the negotiation process. And imagine trying to get nearly 200 countries to agree to precise wording when each of those countries have got different agendas, uh, different problems they have to deal with, you know, different, I guess, funding models that they have. It's an absolute nightmare. And, you know, I think they did a really splendid job to get as far as they did. But my, my summation, there's definitely some good pledges that have come out. There's definitely a movement forward in towards trying to meet the goal of the Paris Agreement. So if we remember what the Paris Agreement is, it was an international conference that took place in 2015 in Paris. The aim is that all countries sign up so that we limit global average temperatures rise to only 1.5 degrees Celsius. 
And before this COP26 in Glasgow, the pledges that we'd had from various nations meant that we were probably going to limit it to 2.7 degrees Celsius. So way off that target. Since COP, we brought that target down. So there's, there's ranges. So some pessimistic views say it's about 2.4 degrees. Some say it's about 1.8. Either way, it's still not on track for 1.5 degree, uh, limiting the warming to 1.5 degree. But we're moving in the right direction. So at the beginning of the conference, a lot of world leaders coming to talk. And then it got down to the nitty gritty. And basically the second week where people were talking to each other. One of these things that I'm trying to understand a little bit as I read a little bit is this uh, uh, carbon marketplace. In other words, this uh, kind of trading, say my country has done a really good job and I've cut my emissions and I've got room to spare in that. I can sell that credit to a, a country that hasn't done as good a job. And I know there was trying to be some more uh, facilitation and kind of um, kind of trying to get that down. Is that something that was uh, maybe you can explain it a little better than I can, because it just it just seemed a little strange to me that, you know, either you're cutting admissions or you're not. Uh, or or is that just the way this whole thing works now that, that, that you that certain countries are trying to do it, but may need a little help in terms of meeting their goals and, and those kinds of things? Yeah, so there's a couple of things regarding finance. There's there's a kind of carbon tax. So you know, if you if you want to carry on using carbon, then effectively there's going to be a tax for doing that. But there's also a funding pot of money which the developed nations, the rich nations, have committed, uh, and this this was discussed obviously at COP26, committed to 100 billion dollars a year from 2023 to support the developing countries. So, and most of that money originally was going going into what we call mitigation. So trying to transform away from fossil fuels into renewables and and giving financial support for countries to do that. And at this COP, they decided that that's important, but just as important is adapting, adaptation, adapting to the climate change. Because there's a lot of developing countries, a lot of those small island nations that are struggling already because of climate change. And they need some money to, to you know, build flood defences and, and really start to adapt to the, the current climate change that we're already seeing. John, is uh, someone uh, so important in our company, did you have uh, any questions for Liz or some thoughts about this? in terms of how AccuWeather is approaching this whole situation? Yeah, I agree with Liz's uh, comments that uh, this was obviously a very significant event from a global perspective. And um, it does sound like, uh, although there'll be a lot of, uh, I'm sure, opinions about the outcome of this, that there is more urgency and there have been more commitments to move in a direction to uh, reduce uh, fossil fuel uh, usage and uh, carbon emissions, which I think on balance is a, is a very good thing. Liz, I wonder from our perspective, one of the things that obviously we're on the front lines and forecasting extreme weather events globally and seeing the increased volatility in the weather as a result of the climate change that has already occurred and have talked a lot about what kind of impacts are unfortunately already baked in, as you mentioned, going forward. I wonder what was your impression about how some of the extreme weather events going on around the world from the southwestern U.S. Uh, horrible drought and wildfires to the wildfires and heat in Europe, uh, extreme floods in Germany, 
uh, flash flooding in China in the last year, for example, what some of just some of the many, many examples of extreme weather with an important climate change aspect to it that has occurred recently. To what extent has that really driven urgency and action in places maybe that it hasn't before? Yeah, absolutely. It definitely did. So I think, you know, many people have a conversation around climate change as if it's happening, it's going to happen, you know, decades ahead, or it's going to happen somewhere else in the world. Well, there has been, you know, numerous examples of climate change driven extreme weather events and these attribution studies that show that they're more likely to happen because of climate change and so forth. There's been numerous events as we ran up to COP26, not only of events happening here and now, but on our doorstep, you know, across the US, across Europe, across China. You know, I don't think there's any part of the world that is immune now to, you know, volatile weather events because of climate change. And and that sometimes it, it needs disaster to be on our doorstep for us to actually step up and take action. So in a sense, you know, you don't want these things to happen, but it was very timely that all of these events were happening almost on a daily basis as we kind of went through the summer and into the autumn ahead of COP26. I also would say I was cautiously optimistic coming out of COP26. I do think there's been some progress going forward, but I noticed a big difference. There were a lot of big commercial companies at COP26. We don't, you've not seen that before. Mm. They, they are bought into the fact that, you know, they can make profit, I guess, out of climate change, out of that green economy. And they're putting their money where their mouth is. And they're probably the organisations that are going to drive the change that we need to see, the rapid change that we need to see in the, in the coming years, that's probably not going to come fast enough from governments. I think governments will make change, but at a slower pace. But these big organisations, international organisations, I think are the ones that are going to drive it forward. And for me, that gives me some optimism. I saw many, that's, a, I think, a very important point. I saw many Fortune 100 CEOs at the event speaking, engaged, looking at how their company can be part of the a solution here going forward. The other thing I wonder about, and you know, we've covered a lot of these angles, and thanks for your help to do so on AccuWeather uh, and AccuWeather.com and the AccuWeather Network, talking about the impact of climate change today and going forward, both the science and also the impacts. That obviously will continue to be a very important uh, focus for us going forward as we inform people around the world on this very important topic. What are you going to be looking for, I think, in the next year to see some of the commitments that have been made and some of the discussions that have gone on translate into action in terms of both, as you mentioned, on the private sector side and industry and what industry can do, and also for as far as government's role in, in various parts of the world? Yeah. So, I mean, again, it's going to be down on the ground now. So there's a lot of organizations out there that are driving the technology for these changes. So, again, a lot of presentations at COP around green hydrogen, which will you know effectively replace natural gas. Uh, a lot of opportunities with renewables, a lot of things to do with electric cars. There was, you know, a whole day on transportation and how the whole aviation sector is is changing and going to have to change quite rapidly over the coming decade. Lots of solutions out there, lots of technologies that are being put into practice in small scale that, you know, these big organisations will just dramatically turn them into big scale and make them affordable and drive them forward. So lots of really optimistic kind of positive stories coming. And that's really what we need to see now, you know, some of these smaller success stories, turning them into kind of reality on big scale, you know, national scale um, and international scale. And I think that's probably what we're going to see. So even in the next 
three to five years, I think we're going to see some huge transformation, uh, you know, as, as, as technology moves forward. I think, uh, you know, you chronicled, I think when the last time you were here, you know, the one of the big um, announcements was uh, the, the agreement on uh, controlling methane uh, emissions. Then towards the end of the conference, it seemed like there was a, a try to be a push to limit or do away with fossil fuels, including coal. But that seemed to be the sticking point towards the end where there were some countries that didn't want to go that far. And so is that kind of where maybe when I look at some of the the, the writings about the whole conference, that there's some disappointment that at the end, when some countries, including India, had a chance to commit to doing away with using coal, that that just wasn't able to happen um, is that the, is that kind of the general feeling about the way that conference ended a little bit? Yeah, and it's such a shame, isn't it? Because it, it left on a really flat note. I mean, if you watch mm. the UK president, Alex Sharma, he was almost in tears because he'd been pushing so hard to, to get that commitment to, to have the words phase out coal in, the, mm. in the, the final document. And instead of phase out, it was phase down. It was just right. a, a weakening of the wording. And uh, But, you know, again, to have coal mentioned specifically, whether it's phase out or phase down, to even get, to even get India to actually to put some commitment forward. I know they're, they're not committing to net zero till 2070, but that's a huge step forward. And I think the drive now over the next three years is to, to try and increase these pledges. So taking countries like India, like China, on this journey with us so that they can they can ramp up and speed up and actually see there's real benefit economic benefit in moving towards this green economy quicker than they want to i think it was left on a bit of a flat note but actually if you look look back at everything that happened over those two weeks and that you know the fact that the science is now embedded in in the cop process the the 1.5 degree and the science behind that and the fact that we've got to reduce our greenhouse gas emissions by about 50 percent by the end of this decade so things have to happen you know rapidly in the next few years you're going to see that being driven through and and again as i, as I said you know a minute ago it, it's going to be big organizations or cities even that start to drive this rather than the kind of national government level. I know we uh, mentioned it uh, when we talked the last time uh, this conference moves every year. So it was mm. UK's turn to have the presidency over COP26. Um, where's it moving next year? And is that good for you? Because I know you put your heart and soul and all the folks in the UK weather community to be uh, good hosts and, and, and have a good presidency over this version of COP26. Yeah, so next year, the, 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 the big push was to move it to the African continent. And so Egypt is going to pick up the presidency for, for next year. And then the year after, it goes to the United Arab Emirates. So we're going into the Middle East. Now, they, Africa and the Middle East are obviously two big areas where, you know, progress needs to be driven forward as well. Support needs to be given. So actually, the focus is going to shift away from it being, you know, a developed nation, a rich nation like the UK, to actually focusing on the areas that need it more. So I think the emphasis will change as we go into the next couple of years of, of COP26, and rightly so, I think. Liz, as you mentioned, also the adaptation strategy is really important because countries around the world, weather and climate and, uh, is a, is, and the atmosphere and our oceans, these are big global issues. As you mentioned, nobody can hide from the impacts uh, that are being faced uh, around the world. So I think that greater engagement is also a very positive thing and bringing light on 
the challenges, the special challenges that are faced by countries that have a, uh, maybe not as many economic resources and uh, st- still have an, a, a, a developing or um, emerging economies. That's another really important aspect of the story. And it sounds like that got good attention here um, as far as strategies going forward. The priority and refocus on adaptation, uh, you know, there has been so much talk about mitigation, this 1.5 degree target that we have to hit and how we're going to achieve that. But adaptation is such a key part because we're having to adapt now and we'll have to continue to adapt in the, the decades to come. So a, re- a shift of focus of that in this COP26, I think, again, was refreshing. If you'd like more information, uh, the COP official website is UKCOP. 26.org. UKCOP26.org is the official website. Armets.org. R-M-E-T-S.org. And then, of course, AccuWeather.com. All kinds of stories about not only what happened at COP26, but again, climate change and all of those uh, impacts and the weather. The situation with that, you can continue to follow on AccuWeather.com. Thanks again to Liz. We're going to hold John over for a segment. When we come back, he and I are going to discuss an alert that AccuWeather put out here this past week for the potential for a coal storm right in the smack dab middle of the week that is uh, Thanksgiving week here in the United States. Is that going to come to fruition? And even if it doesn't, is there going to still be bad weather for people to navigate through or around as they try to get home to grandma's house or wherever they need to go in this upcoming week? A lot of travel happening. We know that. We'll break it down, some of the impacts and some of the possibilities with John coming up next. This is Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. Plan your day with confidence and find out what the weather means for you. Join AccuWeather meteorologist Bernie Reno Monday through Friday for Weather Insider. Available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And welcome back to Everything Under the Sun here as we continue on in our eighth episode of our fall series. I'm Dean DeVore. Thanks again to our time with Dr. Liz Bentley from Armets and kind of putting a bow on the COP26 situation. And now I wanted to spend a little bit more time with our Senior Vice President for Weather Content and Forecast Operations and our Chief Meteorologist, Jonathan Porter, regarding this uh, upcoming weekend and weekend week beyond the big holiday travel week. I know AccuWeather was at the forefront of putting out some alerts here this past week about the potential for a major coastal storm. And I know as we're recording this on a Thursday, it's not all kind of coming together in the modeling yet. I'm just a little bit concerned that some of us are uh, going to get uh, the right information out to all of you and keep you up to date because, you know, this uh, next week or so, as we've been hearing in the last week or so here on Everything Under the Sun from our friends at AAA and everybody else, traveling is back into the forefront with people certainly uh, frustrated over the last couple of years with the pandemic. So, John, it's good to be with you. I know that you've been uh, really trying to drive the ship here at AccuWeather and make sure that we've got all the great information out to people about this uh, potential for a, a coastal storm. I think the key to me, John, though, is even if we don't get this whole big wrapped up coastal storm where we could see a definitive potent area of low pressure along the eastern seaboard. There are going to be major impacts for travel as we come out of this uh, kind of first weekend of the holiday travel season, the Thanksgiving holiday this coming Thursday, and then into the first couple of days of next week. Where, you know, back in the old days, people were kind of really concentrated and trying to get to grandma's house there on Wednesday and Thursday. Travel starts much more earlier now. 
extends later into the period. And there's going to be some problems, whether it's an organized storm or not, especially for the Great Lakes in the Northeast here as we get into the weekend and that early part of the week beyond. I think that's the key message. Uh, we'll see how the whole situation evolves, evolves in the East. It is a complex pattern. And Dean, as you mentioned, all of the pieces have to come together just right to get a big storm that comes right up the coast. And whether or not that happens, still to be seen, it's important to remember that as we record this, the energy, the atmospheric disturbance, the potent one that's going to be responsible for the key player in all this is still up over Alaska, which is not an area that the computer models, uh, the data going into the computer models do a great job of capturing. So it's still going to be a little bit of time here before we get a good feeling of a lock on how this all evolves in the East. But the biggest point I think is what you mentioned, which is regardless of how it actually evolves, there are going to be big impacts. And what I mean by that, it's going to be the coldest air of the season coming in here as we make our way into Monday in the Great Lakes and by Tuesday into the I-95 corridor along the East Coast and gusty winds. Mm. However, this plays out along uh, from the Great Lakes to the Northeast and even the middle Atlantic states where in some places the winds could gust over 50 miles per hour. And as you said, that's a challenge all the time, especially when we have so many people traveling uh, prior to the Thanksgiving holiday. So there's going to be some significant impacts. However, this ends up working out. And part of the signals that we were seeing that um, gave us pause of this is these flips that we've been seeing where, you know, and and we're we're coming off one. The temperatures along the eastern seaboard pushing to near 70 degrees on Thursday. Then a, a batch of cold air comes in flips that back to colder stuff for a couple of days. And then there's a little relaxation, but it's that flipping that's been going on over the last couple of weeks. And it just seems like that area. I agree. John is ripe for something. And and I, maybe this story, you know, we were kind of looking at Monday into Tuesday for uh, this coastal storm. Maybe we have to think a little bit longer in the week because we do see this at times where we get a, a an area of low pressure that forms either just along or just off the eastern seaboard. And and the way this all works out, it can kind of wrap around. And sometimes, like we saw in the big nor'easter, just at the beginning of the month, start to come back towards the eastern seaboard after being out and maybe getting formed more out to sea. So these are all things that I think folks really need to to watch out for. Keep a track of the AccuWeather.com forecast on their app, on our website, on our great network here as we go through the next few days, because it can just take a a day or two for some of these kinds of bigger systems to really totally come into focus before we know exactly what's going on. But I think, John, to me, some of the highlights is what you said. A lot of cold air over the Great Lakes. So like Sunday into Monday, if I'm in the Great Lakes, even into Tuesday, I got to be thinking, especially if I'm in the lee of some of those lakes, uh, the, you know, the southern lee is that a lot of that air will be coming more north, northwest. I got to be concerned about a lot of snow showers out there. Enough rain on Monday, especially early in the day along the eastern seaboard, could be some uh, slowdowns of driving and getting around. And then that flip to the colder and the windy conditions could even be snow showers all the way close to the coast if this all works out, Mm -hmm. even without just steady precipitation. A lot of problems with wind and showers and those kinds of things on those few days. That's right. And uh, the overall pattern, as you're talking about, We'll see how the factors come together. And you're right, we may even have to end up waiting a little bit longer than expected, perhaps, for, uh, for that storm to develop. We'll, have, we'll see how it all um, plays out. But the pattern itself, when you step back and look at it, is the type of weather pattern that produces unsettled weather 
and uh, a surge of cold air into the east. So that's working for it. And we'll look and see how the individual uh, details work out. But definitely the lake effect snow is going to be a big factor. The other thing too, Dean, worth mentioning, that cold air is going to be driving south into the mm. southeastern United States. And it is going to be chilly across uh, parts of the southeast. And in fact, uh, there can be some spots where uh, there'll be uh, freeze conditions and also the risk for uh, people to be aware of uh, related to water damage in case uh, some pipes burst, which can be a problem sometimes if people are not, if water's not going through pipes and some of those colder right. spots while people are away around the Thanksgiving holiday. So that's something else to be aware of. And also to point out, we're talking about these gusty winds in the Great Lakes and the Northeast and the Middle Atlantic states here. However, this ends up playing out, that can have a big impact, not only on ground transportation, but air travel, oh, because yeah. we know the airlines, the air industry has already had some challenges in terms of the last couple of months in bringing the capacity back up as more and more people want to fly, understandably, want to fly safely. So as a result of that, there's been some operational challenges. There's a bunch of gusty winds at major airports in those eastern and central part of the United States. That can cause ripple effects around the rest of the country because, remember, for your flight, you need the plane to be there and you need the crew to be there. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times there can be uh, various issues that come up when uh, gusty winds happen in part of the country because the airlines just can't get the planes and crews to where they need to be. Yeah, some simple things like if you can book the first flight of the day because that gives you most flexibility, uh, but also be prepared that you may, in the old days, you'd lose a flight and you may lose a couple mm. of hours. Uh, in this new scenario, the way things are, if you lose a flight, you may lose a day or more. I think, John, the best advice is to keep it locked to uh, your AccuWeather.com app, your AccuWeather.com website uh, with all the stories, our network and all our great media partners we're going to do and work overtime here in this next 10 days to make sure people get to where they're going, whether it's a trip around the corner or around the world, we'll be there for you. And I think even the people that aren't traveling uh, want to know what uh, is going on because they've got people traveling to them. So very important time of the year. And I know you're proud of our team for kind of taking the lead. You know, it's it's out there with a forecast about something that could happen eight, nine, 10 days out. I know some people aren't comfortable always with that, but I think it's great to get the information out. And I'm glad that we've taken the lead on that. Thanks for your leadership on it. Well, thank you, Dean. And uh, you've been uh, on all of our big radio partners uh, across all our different media properties and social media, helping get that important message out too. And as you said, we're spending all kinds of extra time here and talking about all the possible scenarios that may occur, uh, how likely they are, and also helping people understand what's the impact of the weather with all the special wording that we have in our local forecast. So check out your your local forecast on AccuWeather.com and in the AccuWeather app. We're putting all those details in there. John, thanks so much for your time. Also appreciate the time this week with uh, Liz Bentley. Professor Bentley has been working very hard for the last month, and we appreciate her frequent visits to Everything Under the Sun to help keep us informed on what was going on on COP26. And we're going to have a lot of folks working uh, tirelessly through this holiday week to get you the right information so you can get around the corner, around the world. I know so many people, you're either traveling or you're waiting for people traveling to you. And uh, both situations, we've got the information that you need for that trip around the corner, around the world. 
world on your AccuWeather app, your AccuWeather.com website with our AccuWeather network and our great media partners. I'm going to be on uh, Friday and then really all of next week, keeping you up to date on getting around in this holiday week as we uh, look at the latest forecast on WBZ, WPRO, 1010 Winds, KDKA, WWJ in Detroit, WBBM in Chicago, and KMOX in St. Louis. Looking forward to talking to you folks and keeping you abreast of the latest information on the weather as we go through the Thanksgiving holiday week next week. For our executive producers, Ken Prell and Andrew Robb, and the hundreds of team members at AccuWeather that work so hard every day, keeping you weatherproofed and your life going on in terms of the weather and keeping you safe. That is it for this edition of Everything Under the Sun. Next week, we'll talk about transitioning from being more outdoors in your activities and your workouts to your winter regime and how uh, the weather necessitates that change and what you can do to keep on track. I need to get back into the gym myself. It's been a great week. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week, Episode 9 of Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Be sure to subscribe to, rate, and review Everything Under the Sun on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And of course, if you have an idea for a future podcast, just email us at accuweather.podcast at accuweather.com. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes, while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide.